Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the program, we welcome back Fidelity's Investment Director, Tom Stevenson, as he discusses the impacts of rate hikes, inflation, and housing on different economies around the world. He comments on the effects of rate hikes on GDP and if that could in fact lead to an inflation-led recession. He explains how this is a big puzzle, firstly for central banks, and it is what the Fed has been grappling with for so long. They just don't know what the cumulative impact will be after all these rate hikes. In the UK, Tom says, you are starting to see in the housing market, for example, and other areas of the economy as well, a real slowing down in the economy, which could indicate that the wind is catching up with all those interest rate hikes. The danger, he says, is that if you keep on hiking, it just becomes counterproductive and you unnecessarily push the economy into a recession. But now it looks like the markets have regained their poise and have bounced back really quite nicely, placing itself in this type of Goldilocks economy, he says, of not too hot or not too cold. Tom also discusses China's slower-than-expected growth, Japan's unexpected economic climb, and how that all could affect global economies. He also touches on the UK job market and the state of consumer confidence. He says we are seeing quite a strong wage growth in the UK, which is one of the key drivers of inflation. He adds that's going to make it harder to squeeze inflation out and the interest rates are going to have to stay higher as a result. This podcast was recorded on September 6, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. September can be a pretty topsy-turvy month, really, just for investors writ large. It just is what it is. That said, can we begin actually with this oil move that we saw yesterday? It was was one of those headlines that was a bit of a jaw-dropper, actually, and then we saw the reaction. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Saudi Arabia and Russia um, basically extending their their voluntary cuts until till the end of the year. So I, I think, you know, this is pushing pushing the oil price higher. It's gone up to about $90 a barrel for the Brent contract now. Not so long ago that it was $70 a barrel. So it, it has actually it has actually crept up pretty quickly. And and I think the, the significance of that for the markets more generally is that it it, it, it raises the question about whether all the good news that we've had recently on the inflation front, and there has been, you know, a steady stream of, of good news uh, on inflation, whether that could be undone by by the oil price, because obviously it is a it is a very key driver uh, of it, of inflation. Um, so I think that that explains the nervousness of the market uh, in, in response to that. Yes, absolutely. What Why don't we focus on some of the bits of actually quite good news in terms of markets like something that goes from bad news to less bad. I mean, and there have been many moments of that in some German data, UK data. Take us through a couple of pieces that that you think investors really need to, you know, at least recognize or focus on. 
Yeah, I mean, well, the, the, there's lots of data. I mean, le, I mean, let's focus on on, on the US uh, first of all, because I mean, we had we had you know, let's go go back ten days or so to to the Jackson Hole meeting, and we had uh, Governor Powell saying that uh, he, you know, he he wasn't done yet, and that you know, and that was understandable. He and 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 I don't think it particularly surprised markets. It was almost a statement of the obvious that you know there was still work to do. Then last week. We had a rather different message uh, from the data. I mean, he did say that, look, we may not be finished, but we are going to watch the data. And then immediately the data started coming in and it was pretty, pretty dovish, actually. You know, we had um, we had job openings much lower than expected. We then had the uh, the non-farm payrolls at the end of the week, really, you know, pretty much in line, maybe slightly above. And I think what that encouraged investors to think is that maybe this hope for a soft landing next year really is back on the agenda. It did feel like maybe the Fed has managed to thread that needle through getting on top of inflation and at, while at the same time not causing too much damage uh, to the economy. It's a very difficult um, trick to pull off for a central bank. They don't always get that right. Um, and it did look last week like maybe there was a good chance that they would get it right. And I think that's we had the market up two and a half percent. We had the Nasdaq, which, of course, is very interest rate sensitive, up more than three percent last week. So some quite positive news on that front. Mm -hmm. It makes you wonder whether that's why Russia and uh, Saudi made this move. <laughs> Sorry, that's so. Well, it, but it mean, who knows? Who knows? Who, yeah. who knows how that all comes together? So, I mean, what we've got is the situation that you just described for last week in the U.S. We've got many other countries around the world that have had to hike um, at a pace that's unprecedented as well. And other central banks, including Canada, there's a question mark exactly where Canada will land uh, in its next move. We're, we're sort of hours away from it at this stage. Um, but it seems like we're closer to finish than maybe the U.S. is signaling. That. Tell us a little yeah. bit about that differential. I think that's right. I mean, you, you, you mentioned Canada. I think that, you know, that this combination of, um, you know, quite weak uh, GDP data uh, with the inflation, it, it feels like Canada may be close to peaking. Just today here in the UK, we had the, um, the governor of the Bank of England, um, Andrew Bailey, talking to members of parliament. Uh, and he said explicitly, and this is the first time he's really been that explicit, he's saying a few, a few weeks ago, we were talking about the need to, to, to push rates higher and market expectation is indeed that we get another couple of quarter point rate hikes here in, in the UK. He said, I don't think we're there at the moment. I think we're in a different pace. I think we've moved beyond that. That really encouraged the, the, the markets and it had a big impact on the, um, on the currency markets as well. So the pound fell quite sharply. Um, so the pound has been up at about $1.30. Uh, it's now down below $1.25, so quite a significant move. People are now expecting that, that interest rates are really not going to go that much further here in, here in the UK. Um, Europe, Why is that? I was just going to ask just quickly, you know, there's, I mean, there are reasons for that, right? What, what, what are the cracks? Yeah, well, the cracks which are beginning to show are largely focused on the housing market uh, here in, in, in the UK. So we had some, uh, we've had a couple of pieces of data showing an acceleration in the year-on-year -year fall in, in house prices here in the UK. So the August figure, we have this series of data that comes out from um, the Nationwide Building Society. Um, and uh, in July, they were looking at a 3.8% decline. 
year on year in house prices. By August, that was down to 5.3% year on year decline. So it does look as though it's accelerating. One of the reasons why house prices have been slow to catch up with the tightening of monetary policy is that here in the UK, we have a lot of um, fixed rate mortgages. People are tied in for two, sometimes five, sometimes even longer rates on their, on their fixed uh, mortgages. Many people have locked themselves in at rates of under 2% and slowly they are being reset onto mortgages at in excess of 5%. So if you're going from 1.9% to 5.3%, that's typical. Yeah. That's a huge change in people's uh, circumstances. But that's one thing that's driving the housing market. The other thing that's driving the housing market is that the, the buy-to-let market, the, um, the private rented uh, market, is really drying up. A lot of landlords are just pulling out of that market. There have been changes in the tax treatment of, uh, of buy-to-let uh, investments. Um, rising mortgage rates, of course, have impacted landlords who've got mortgages. Many of them do, uh, of course. And there's been a lot, there's been a steady uh, withdrawal from the market of those landlords. So that's a negative for the housing market as well. And I think that the thing about the housing market, it's not like the stock market where you get an immediate um, correction. You know, when, when, when bad news comes through, it corrects very quickly, and then you can reset and start again. With the housing market, because it's so much more illiquid, it can take months, even years, for this process to, uh, to work its way through. And I think that's, we're at the start of that process in the UK. So, and, and that's, that's not dissimilar at all to, to sort of where Canada appears to be. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I sort of interrupted you when you're about to focus on Europe. Again, with the, the interest rate, differential discussion. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you know, it's a broadly similar story uh, in Europe. There's a, there's a lot of weakness in the housing market in continental Europe uh, as well. Uh, some of the PMI data is not looking uh, very strong. Um, uh, Christine Lagarde at the European Central Bank is being very cautious about saying that we're, she's actually not saying that we're close to the peak in interest rates. So I think there's a bit of anxiety that that there may be this continued squeeze from rising interest rates, which you have to remember in Europe, interest rates have gone from negative rates. Negative, you know, yeah. They were less than zero, and they're now you know, much more back to a sort of normal um, interest rate. That's, that's, caused a real, um, that's caused a real problem for, in particular, the, the housing market in Europe. So I think, uh, I, I think at some point, interest rates will have to peak in, in Europe too, but they're just not saying it at the moment. I think the world over, this yeah. close. Okay, so I, I, I don't want to draw conclusions globally where, where there aren't any, but it, it is interesting that China is grappling with all kinds of different things right now. We know this. They've had actually some really interesting news on what they're doing on sort of uh, semiconductors and, and chips in, in the last week. So that's been very positive. But overall, the country is in a position where it needs to stim stimulate the economy. We know the real estate stories, or we know what we can know. There's probably more to know. We know what we can know. Is there sort of a global real estate story, would you say, or not? Well, I think I think the Chinese real estate story is is an idiosyncratic one. I think it is specific to China. I mean, I you know clearly there's been massive overinvestment in uh, in in real estate uh, in China, and that of course is I think why the Chinese authorities have been so reluctant to to re-stimulate the economy because they actually don't want to reinflate the housing bubble. Um, so they've been ultra cautious. What's happened in the last week or so though has been interesting because it's obvious that they've, they've taken a look at, for example, 
the youth unemployment figures, which, uh, as we know, went up above 20 percent and then they stopped reporting them. You know, so they're, they're obviously very concerned about the, 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 the fraying of the social fabric as a, as a result of that um, rise in, in unemployment. And the stimulus is starting to come through. So, you know, just at the weekend, we had we had changes in the in the biggest cities, dozen biggest cities, um, uh, you know, in, in encouraging them to reduce um, interest rates on existing mortgages, um, reducing the down payments that are required to get on the on the housing ladder, if you like, uh, in China. So that stimulus is finally coming through. And that's been a positive for the market after you know a very difficult period for the Chinese stock market. Uh, just going back to one of the pieces that you you had in the Telegraph, you you spoke about Jackson Hole being, of course, well, it's all about interest rates, it's all about central banks. We know this, but it's also about a place to sort of. I thought it was interesting you brought up it was it was close to one central banker's um, favorite place to fish, and that's why they're there. I didn't know that, but in any case, I'll let you tell that story. Um, but bigger stories are being <laughs> bigger fish to fly to fry. There are bigger things to discuss. There is structural change afoot across the globe, and and maybe the focus on little interest rate differentials country to country is, is actually a bit of a, a bit of a distraction. A bit of a red herring to- I was continue. going to say it, but I thought I better not. I better not, it's horrible, <laughs> horrible. <laughs> yeah, just, just on that, just because uh, it's an amusing story, just just on that. So it was Paul Volcker, who is, of course, the, 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 the federal uh, chair who famously got on top of inflation in, in the early 80s. And the, 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 the Jackson Hole Symposium is organized by the Kansas Fed. And they, were, they really wanted Volcker to be there um, in 1982. And Paul Volcker was a very keen fly fisherman. So they thought, well, the way to get Paul Volcker to come to our um, symposium is to hold it in the most beautiful fly fishing resort in the whole of North America. So they went to uh, they went to Jackson Hole in Wyoming and held it there. And of course, he went and it's been there ever since. But anyway, we, we digress. Um, uh, what was the other, what was your question? The other question was, although it's a it's a place to obviously talk about, you know, central banks yeah. and what they're doing with interest rates, there were some very big structural stories of the world yeah. changing structurally, ultimately, in the economies that yeah. were also discussed. That's right. That was the theme. That was that was the theme yeah. of, of exactly. the summit was talking about these sort of, you know, the, the, the changing nature of the, of the global economy. And I do think it's interesting. I think as investors, we spend a lot of time sort of focusing on the on the minutiae, on the nitty gritty of the small change. You know, our interest rates going to go up by a quarter point or half a point. And actually, as investors, we would probably be better off spending more time thinking about these long term big structural changes. I mean, frankly, it's more important to it was more important to buy Amazon 20 years ago and to hold it than to worry about whether interest rates are going to go up by by a quarter point. It's those big changes in the way that we lead our economic lives and, and how we shop and live. And um, uh, those are those are those are the key uh, things And clearly, you know, there are being on the right side of, for example, the whole AI story. And no one knows how to be on the right side of that. So that's the kind of thinking which investors need to do. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. And what triggered this thought for me, actually, Pamela, was um, a week or so ago, the Office for National Statistics here in the UK um, recalibrated, um, it, it revised the GDP figures for the whole COVID period. And, and 
and essentially it found an extra 50 billion pounds for the UK economy. So it said that the UK economy is actually 50 billion pounds bigger than we thought it was. And that changed the whole narrative about COVID because the, 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 the story about the UK during COVID was we were the laggard, um, you know, our, our economy is still smaller than it was in 2019. We're, we're not as good as Germany and France. And then at a stroke, at the click of a mouse, the ONS said, mm, actually, that's not true. Actually, the UK economy has not done too badly. Just got me thinking that as investors, we spend too much time thinking about these these small numbers and worrying about them. And actually, we should be thinking about the big picture. What are they going to invest that $50 billion in? I mean, that's found money. Yeah, well, it's just money found down the back of the sofa. So, I mean, that's it's, right. it's oh, very it's well, just to get slightly political. It's extremely convenient for the, for the government <laughs> um, ahead of an election next year to suddenly find 50 billion pounds. But that's another story. That's another story. OK, no, it, it is fascinating, though, to sort of to, to fan out and look at the and actually you and I were discussing some of this when we were doing some preparation. But you, I'll, I'll let you say, but you, you said something along the lines of, you know, the, the big money is actually made when when you are on top of some of these really, really large stor structurally changing stories where we're pivoting. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's it's and, 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 and those those big calls are not easy to make. Um, you know, for example, you know, I mean, you can you can you can stand here 15 years ago. You could have stood here and said, look, there is this ongoing shift away from the developed markets to the emerging markets. You know, the Chinese economy is growing more than twice as fast as the as the developed world. And you might have thought, well, I should invest in emerging markets. I should invest in China because of that. But it's a more complicated story because actually the place to invest over the last 15 years has been the market which was not growing so fast. Um, and, and I guess there are lots of different reasons for that. You know, the composition of the of the US stock market has been in exactly the right place. It's been very highly geared towards those technology growth stocks. The Chinese economy is much more um, geared towards state owned companies, which maybe don't affect the, the, the stock market. So, you know, th these things, they sound easy. They're a lot more complicated than, than they seem. Or you need someone um, with deep insight into some of these areas and with true analytical abilities and, and um, sort of resources to, to get on with that because it is so hard to figure some of this out. So tell us a little bit about, let's, let's stick actually with the Asian region. Um, Japan has been fascinating to watch because we think that they might be changing some of their yield curve control policies. Um, it's been fascinating to see which investors flow out of one market into theirs or vice versa. Tell us yeah. a little bit about the opportunities you see in a shifting Japan. Yes, I mean, I, I think that, that that one of the big issues with with Japan is just the 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 the, the quantity of of money that that's involved. I mean, you know, the Japanese economy it's been a stagnant economy for for many years, um, but it's a big economy. You know, it is still the world's third biggest economy. And, you know, there are a lot of huge amounts of savings have been built up uh, in Japan. And of course, what's happened to those savings during a period of zero or negative interest rates in Japan is that that money has gone off in search of better returns um, elsewhere in the world. And if there is if we are facing this potential shift in policy um, with uh, the Japanese finally catching up with the rest of the world in terms of raising interest rates and you know they are experiencing um relatively high by japanese standards 
rates of inflation. So I think, you know, I think that moment is upon us. A lot of money which is parked in US treasuries, for example, uh, which may come come back to Japan. And I think that has an impact on uh, not just the Japanese market, but other markets where it's where it's currently parked. I was reading today, actually, about the, the amount of money which is flowing into uh, gold um, through um, from, from Japanese investors in response to this rising um, rising uh, inflationary environment. So these are things that we haven't said for, for many years. You know, the, the thought that we, we'd be talking about inflation in Japan is quite a new concept for, for anyone who's, you know, um, hasn't been around for the last 30 years because there hasn't been any inflation in Japan. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, that is a structural shift that's beginning, that is begin or has begun. So is the effect of uh, rate hikes, um, is it weakening GDP and also the impact on the pound itself? Is that a sign of inflation-led um, recession, of an inflation, inflation hang on, inflation I think we're talking about stagflation, essentially. You know, where, where does this all come? There's hikes going into a weakening market that you can say the same thing for, for Europe. Yes. And I think that this I think that what where what the question gets to uh, is the is the, the, the question of the, this this lag in the impact of, of, of interest rates, because and I think this is the big puzzle for for, for central banks. And this is clearly what, you know, uh, the Fed is grappling with and what Andrew Bailey is grappling with, judging by his comments today, they don't know what the cumulative impact will be of the rates that we've already seen. Because you have to remember that, you know, in the US, the, the, the interest rates in the US went from zero, just over zero, to nearly five and a half percent in 18 months. I mean, that's a monumental change in policy in a very short space of time. And I don't think anyone can really know what the impact of that is going to be. And I think that what Andrew Bailey was saying here in the UK is that, you know, we're seeing, we're starting to see in the housing market, for example, but not just in the housing market, in other areas of the economy as well, a real slowing down in the economy. And, and you have to suspect that, uh, that the, we're catching up with those interest rate hikes. Right. And the danger is that you keep hiking and it just becomes counterproductive and you unnecessarily push the economy in, into a recession. I think where we're at at the moment is that the markets, you know, which have regained their poise. I mean, they bounced back really quite, quite nicely. What the markets are saying is that we're actually in this Goldilocks um, economy, you know, not too hot, not too cold. Um, you know, we've, 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 we've got on top of the inflation problem. Um, Companies are still earning good profits. Um, we're not probably not going to go into a deep recession. Even if we do go into a recession next year, it might be quite a mild one. That's quite an attractive setup for, yeah. for stock markets to continuing to, to to recover. But it's a real. It, 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 we we just don't know whether we've overdone it, and that, that's the question facing the central banks. The other question is how strong is the UK, the job market itself, and um, the, the consumer confidence, the sentiment piece of it in the UK. Yes, I mean, what we're seeing is um, really quite strong um, wage growth here in the UK. And of course, that's one of the drivers of the inflation rate that, you know, it, the core rate of inflation is largely driven by um, uh, wage, wage rises and, and wage uh, expectations. Um, so 
it, in one way, that's a problem because it suggests that it's going to be harder to squeeze inflation out and the interest rates are going to have to stay higher as a consequence. The flip side of it, though, is that if you kept your job and you've had a six, seven, eight percent pay rise, then actually that's fueling quite strong uh, consumer spending. So our, the retail sales figures that we've had, for example, um, have have been pretty encouraging. Um, you know, as in as in other economies like like the US, actually the consumer side of the economy is surprisingly surpri surprisingly robust when you think about you know how they've been clobbered, how we have been clobbered by rising interest rates. Uh, it's held up remarkably well. It's held up remarkably well. It's really it's really interesting. Um, so Japan is a, is a fascinating story. I, I feel like all we did in the first half of the year, not all we did, but one of the big things we did was talk about the bond market. And ultimately, with a with rates higher, you can sort of, it's the class, it's almost the dividend story. You know, you can afford to wait, you'll get paid while you're waiting uh, with rates at these levels. Where, where do you see sort of bonds being the protection going forward? Are they needed in the same way that they we were talking about at the beginning of the year, maybe more so now? I think the big I think the big change for investors this this year has been the the reemergence of a world in which you can get a essentially a risk free return of five percent. That that's that's a, a massive um, sea change for for investors because for a lot of you know for a lot of people you know let's say you're you're investing for your retirement maybe you're drawing down an income in retirement. Um, you may not be that interested in fantastic capital growth. What you are interested in is generating a satisfactory income for you to live on for the rest of your life. And if you can get 5% on a, on, a, on a government bond, which is totally reliable, you know you're going to get your money back and you're getting an income of 5%. I think that changes the, the arithmetic. And lots of money which was chasing returns because it had no choice, because there was no income, is now quite satisfied in a money market fund or a government bond, uh, or a relatively safe um, equity income fund. Um, all of those, a, a property fund, maybe uh, an infrastructure fund. There are there are many many different ways of generating a satisfactory income of four and a half, five five and a half percent, and I think that will satisfy many people. So I think that's that that changes. I was reading, I'm reading a very interesting article about the challenge that that poses for hedge funds, for example. Yes, I, I've been reading, maybe I read the same article. Yeah, maybe yeah. the same thing. You know, if you're a hedge fund and, you know, and, and your customers can get 5% with no risk at all, then if you're going to be charging, you know, 2 and 20, 2% uh, and 20% of profits, um, then you better be delivering a lot more than 5%. And so and for an awful lot of hedge fund managers, they, they fail to do that. Um, so it, it's all sorts of unintended consequences of, of this new world of safe 5% returns. Fascinating, another structural change. Okay, I just want, we have sort of just a minute left. I think Friday, the end of this week is the first anniversary of the Queen's death. And I just wanted to ask what, how the celebrations will be in the UK or maybe, maybe the big celebration of her life really has already happened. I'm just sort of curious. Yeah, I think so. I think um, I think we've we've probably moved on. I was quite surprised that it was that it was a year ago. I mean, where did where did that where did that year go? But uh, yeah, no, it has definitely been been noted, and I think you know people are res respectful of that. But um, yeah, we move on. 
we move on. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating to get your views and, and taking a bit of a tour around the world. We appreciate you guiding us through that. Tom Stevenson, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Pamela. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.